Greetings. Greetings. Kapla. Kapla. <laughs> Daryl, good to see you there. Yeah, good to see you, Chuck. Yes. So you are my Klingon friend. And you know what I have right here? My prize piece ah. that you gave, you gifted to me. Oh, great. I love this. So for those who are listening and not watching, would we call this a headdress or what would you call the it's your headpiece? My headpiece. So of course we've got the hair. Of course I've got it tucked mm -hmm. underneath. So this is actually, you know, I know I'm jumping right in, right? I'm just so excited to have you here. Okay. So this was your your piece right here that you wore. On your time on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, right? Correct. So. What if someone told you that you could learn the secret to happiness or success? Maybe you have an interest in mental health or the unknown, or even the desire to communicate with the dead. These are the real stories and encounters from the real people on Behind the Story with Chuck Talk. And here's your host, Chuck Todd. What we're doing today is we are talking to a Klingon actor who had several, played several roles in Deep Space Nine mainly, correct? Correct. Yeah, I, I was, I worked on the show as an, as an extra. Yeah, it's you know basically you got a lot of lot of headaches for no money, but it was fun. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, I it, I mean, when I found out that you were a more than a Star Trek fan, that you actually were involved with the show, I it's I mean I I was over the moon. You know it's. So, I think we have spawned a friendship. <laughs> I'm hoping. Well, the, as as they like as they like to say, you know, beware of what you wish for. <laughs> well, I've gotten everything so far. You've you've been a great person. Yeah. So for for people again who are just listening in on the show today, I met Daryl in his hometown. I, I play a little bit of music, and we were out there and. And through somebody else, through somebody else, I, I had heard that he, like I said, played some roles in the Star Trek television programs. So, but Deep Space Nine actually came out in 1993, and it was for six seasons. How many would you say that you were involved with? Oh, probably maybe 10 episodes. Wow. 10 or 12. It was, it was an on and off thing. It actually, um, the, the show itself, it, they started filming it in 91. Mm. And then it ran from 92 to 99 is wow. when it was actually aired. Wow. Wow. Uh, it's, to me, it, it's amazing how many different television series, the original Star Trek series spawned. So I, 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 I'm, I didn't do it with real fact check, but I think there's like 
12 different television series. So that's amazing. But I got to be honest, Daryl, Deep Space Nine was one of the earlier ones that came out. It was one of my least favorite, but actually now it has become my go-to. If I want to watch something Star Trek, I go to Deep Space Nine. Well, a lot of people felt that way, you know, from what I've, you know, found out over the years with, I've gone to a lot of conventions and stuff is Deep Space, like you say, you know, Deep Space Nine was, it was one of those things when it came out, it was okay. I mean, but it was the same thing with Voyager. Mm -hmm. Voyager was basically treated the same way. It, It just... Oh, it, it's an offshoot. It's not really Star Trek. You know, oh, it's it, it's just on a space station. Yeah. You know, sort of thing. But but now, I mean, and all the different variations that have come since then. I mean, now you've got you've got Discovery. Mm-hmm. You know, out now and then, then you've got the, the new one that I think it's called Strange New Worlds. That's right. Yeah. And, which and- is actually pre- you know, pre-Captain Kirk. Wow. And Picard, another one. Right. You know, yeah, it's, Picard. there's just so many, but they're all super, super good. And I know there are going to be Star Wars fans out there who are not going to like what I say, but I've always been more of a Star Trek fan than Star Wars, only because Star Trek was just so much more real, had more of a human story to it, I think. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if you agree I with me I on that. <laughs> I, I actually enjoy both both of the genres. Yeah, you know, doing it because besides doing you know doing the the Star Trek thing, where I still try to go to conventions and stuff. I mean, the the pandemic really really killed the sci fi community itself. Oh, I, yeah, I, I imagine you know, as far as the conventions go. Yeah, um, and it's slowly starting to come back. But it's it really took it really took its toll. So let's go back to the mid nineties when you when you first got that role. How did it come about that you became an extra? Were you working in the film industry or anything like that? Or no, did somebody were you walking down Hollywood Boulevard and somebody said, That guy has got the physique of a Klingon? Actually it, the way that it that it came about is uh been I've been a fan of Star Trek since the 70s mm-hmm. in fact I can re- I can remember when the, when it first came out it was like you know it was the one show that my parents would let us watch even though it, it was horrible back then and you know basically I, I was actually in the Marine Corps I was stationed down in Camp Pendleton oh and there was a bunch of guys from from the base that had been working in the industry, you know, part time, you know, picking up roles here and there. And um, before I had gone in, into the Marines, in fact, the, the first thing that I ever got involved in was actually the movie Fist. Oh, which was that was actually filmed out in Dubuque, Iowa. Which is the area where I'm I'm originally from. I'm from Iowa. In okay. fact, my parents had a farm that was about 15 miles from Field of Dreams. Wow! So but, Dyersville, Iowa. 
Yeah, and that, that's how I, I got involved in doing a lot of this stuff and, you know, through school and, you know, doing plays at school and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's a lot of fun. Well, so I want to clarify when I said, you know, walking down Hollywood Boulevard and somebody said he's got the physique of a Klingon. It's because I've been I've stood next to Daryl and he is a force to be reckoned with. I mean, you you're you're like this. You've got this larger than life stature. So that's what I meant by that. So it's a phenomenal uh, man. Uh, Larger than life now, that's for sure. Oh. But, back back then, I was I was about a hundred pounds lighter, and you know. But yeah, it, it just came about that you know they were they were looking for extras, and uh, went in and you know just applied for it, and they're like, "Hey, you, you'd be really good for this." So, and then it was just every you know, every once in a while you you get a casting call, mm-hmm. you know you know we're looking for ten people. And it's it's actually tough trying to find people that are willing to do some of these roles because it is wearing a lot of heavy makeup, yeah, and costumes and stuff. And that's what that's what I, I meant, you know, about you know the first couple of times it was like, what am I doing this for? You know, I, I'm it's the middle of the summertime. It's you know 150 degrees. And grandma's back porch sort of thing and and you're wearing you know like that headpiece there and you're, you're wearing a costume that weighs you know 75 pounds and the crazy thing was is that to do you know when you got involved in doing this you would you would go in you, you'd get all dressed up and you'd sit in a trailer for eight hours with air conditioning with a bunch of other people to to do a 30 second scene on film and that would end up half the time on the cutting room floor, and you got paid a hundred dollars for the privilege. <laughs> well, I, it's I want to know how long did it really take to put on your makeup, your headdress, your headpiece, all of that? I mean, I would imagine what a couple, two, three hours, maybe more. Oh no, it wasn't it, for 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 us. It wasn't that long because mm. basically, like those were just. They were just generic things. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't like say with like Michael Dorn, who played Worf, on you know on uh, what was it Next Generation, right? And stuff. You know, he probably went through you know four hours a day and in wow. in makeup and stuff because of course, you know they were doing all of his shots were, you know, they were close up like you and I are, you know, versus. You know, versus me, where I'm sitting in in the background at Quark's bar, you know, drink, uh, drinking, drinking, you know, Warnock, yeah, or something, you know, and just 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 being, you know, basically obnoxious, <laughs> being a Klingon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that's the one thing that a bunch of a uh, bunch of my friends and I used to always say is that. You know, when we put on the costume, you know, you sort of feel like you can walk through a wall. But when you put on that headpiece, you know you can. You know, that's what I've heard about the acting stuff, especially if you're putting on makeup like this. You almost become, you become that character and you you, you portray that character. So, right. Now, and then you, when, you know, 
Oh, well, Go ahead. Then, then, you know, after this, you know, we started going to, a bunch of us started going to the, the Star Trek conventions. Mm -hmm. And we dress up and pretty soon it was, it was a lot of fun because people would expect it. You know, we, we'd show up and, and, you know, where you've got, you know, 300 people in Pasadena, per se, at a, at a creation con is the company that used to run and still does run these conventions, the big Star Trek conventions. Mm -hmm. And we would go there and it was like you'd have 300 people standing in line. Well, Klingons don't stand in line. You know, so we're we're just you know we're marching up and down the line and harassing everybody. And the great thing was is that you could get away doing it because everybody expected it. Yeah, you know, you you're absolutely right because I have never seen kind or a proper speaking Klingon on any of the shows. And if somebody, if a Klingon were to say to me, "Excuse me, can I scoot by?" I'd say, "You're no Klingon." <laughs> imposter well i'll tell you what one of my first experiences at an at a actual convention was i was at a i went to a convention and it was in sacramento and there was a, a guy that was there who used to be part of a group his, his name his name was actually chuck and i mean everybody called him slimy because this this guy he was he was Chuck was half Filipino and unfortunately he's not with us anymore. He was anyway he um, he would take and he, and he had you know because he couldn't grow facial hair and stuff so he you know he had a glue on beard and it was like because he would sweat so much in the headpiece you know the beard would be hanging down and the mustache and. <laughs> His makeup would be running all over the place. And I went to get something to eat. And I sat down at a table at, at the, you know, the little cafeteria. And this, this great big guy comes walking up to me. He sits down next to me. He reaches over. He grabs my hot dog. And he just takes a bite. And I'm just looking at him like, what the hell? <laughs> And, and, and we just had an amazing friendship after that. And, and he's, you know, he talked me into, you know, into, into really getting into a lot of the roles then. And, and he was sort of like my mentor, you know, with how to, how to really act, you know, really act more than the acting part of it to become Klingon. Yeah, because I would imagine even if you did or didn't have any speaking roles, you probably had to, like you said, the mannerism and the the walk and just that attitude, too. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. You, you had to have the attitude. Mm -hmm. And then there was also, you know, I, I did a lot of not only Klingon, but I did Cardassian. Right. Yeah. Uh, now The Jemadar Warrior, that, that was a lot. That was a lot of makeup. Uh, well... I would imagine too with the Cardassian, the 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 not much so much the makeup, but the the attire, the the clothing that you had to wear was that pretty heavy on that one. Well, yeah, it's like if you see behind me here, that's my Klingon battle armor, and mm -hmm. that that leather, and that's just the tunic. And you know that thing probably 
takes and it weighs about 40 pounds. And that's just the tunic. And then, you know, and then you've got the, the pants and you've got the, the heavy boots. Mm-hmm. Because the boots are almost, they're almost knee-high boots. And, and stuff. Probably the, the total costume with, with the headpiece and everything else you know, for just that part of it is probably, I don't know, 65 pounds maybe. And, and then, then when you get into some of the other stuff, it's like I had at one point, I had a, a set of command robes. Like, I don't know if you remember Star Trek Three, the the search for Spock. Mm-hmm. With Captain Crooch. He was the he was a, he was played by Christopher Lloyd. Yes, 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 yes. Now I remember. Yep. The, the command robe that he wore. I mean, that's that's all wool. And I, I had one that was professionally made for me, and that that was another twenty five pounds. And then on top of that, I, rem- I imagine, like you said, sitting out on a porch and it's 100 plus degrees or whenever yeah. you're working and you have all of that on, you can't just take it off and put it back on quickly. Right, because at a moment's notice, you know, they're going to say, hey, you know, get in here, it's, you know, it's time for your scene. And then it's like, you know, how many times do, you, do they do that take? Oh. You know, to, to do that 30 second time, you know, there may be, 10 or 15 takes. It all depends on the director and, you know, how good everything works. Yeah. Do you have a couple of really fun? Mm. Oh, go ahead. I was going to ask, and I think you're going there, if you had any, a couple of really fond memories of any, any of the scenes or anything like that. Well, some of the scenes, they're more of a blur than anything. It was more the the people like Jonathan Frakes is Mm -hmm. an excellent director. You know, he did. He did a lot of. The, he did a lot of the the spinoffs after after Next Gen. Mm-hmm. You know, he was the director on a lot of the a lot of the spinoffs and stuff. He is a, he is a great director. Brent Spiner is, is a really good director and stuff. And and they're more into into the roles. Okay. You know, and, and I got a lot of fond memories. I mean, because it was like you know, when we were on the set, we weren't really supposed to interact with the with the main stars. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's that's sort of verboten sort of stuff. You know, but hey, we're Klingons. We did it anyway. <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to. That's part of your behavior. Exactly. You know, and and I've still maintained friendships to this day with some of the actors. Is probably one of the best ones is Robert O'Reilly, and and he he played Galron, and he's just a fantastic guy. In fact, I I just got a I just got a, a thing from him just the other day where. He's trying to get back in 1997. Our group that I was part of, we actually had him, one of the guys that I used to hang around with, he did a couple of Star Trek conventions in the San Francisco area that he put on that was called KlingCon. It was all KlingCons. And KlingCon 95, he had, it was 
Bill Campbell and oh, I'm trying to think of their names now. It was Koloff, Kor, and Kang, the original three Klingon captains from Star Trek, from the original show. And he got all three of them out, out there for the, for the show, and everybody loved it. And a three-day three convention, and then, then he, he came back with Klingon, Klingon 97, and he got Robert O'Reilly out there. And after that, it was like, you know, Robert was fantastic working with them because I, I was part of the, the people that actually his, I guess you'd call it his handlers, you know, to keep, keep him from getting in trouble, basically. Right. Yeah, and stuff. You know, and then yeah. he just he just actually sent me an email. He's trying to get the old crew. In fact, he had a, a posted on Facebook. A picture of Klingon ninety seven where we he is there and surrounded by hundred and fifty Klingons. And this was Damn. back in the day when when Paramount would not allow him to wear makeup outside of the show. Oh. Because that that's the one thing is the, the big difference between Star Wars and Star Trek. And I don't know if yeah, I could get in trouble for this or not, so, but I don't care. But they they always had this thing where George Lucas with Star Star Wars, he loves fan interaction with everything. Mm-hmm. And Paramount is they are absolutely anal about their copyright copyright infringements. In fact, I know a guy, I don't have a copy sitting here in front of me, but it's called, in fact, I think I gave you a copy of it, The Way of the Warrior. Not yet. I've, I, I'll look forward to it. Give that to you. Oh. No. Well, when you come back out here in August, September? September, I'll be back out there. Yeah. Yeah, when you come back out here, I'll have to, I'll have to give you a copy of it. It's called, it was called The Way of the Warrior, and it was, uh, he's a martial arts expert from California. And him and his wife, they learned how to use a bat lift, which for those of you that don't know what it is, I mean. And and when you do that, I am going to play this in the background. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. The, the, this is this is a bat lift. And yeah, that that, that is steel, is... and and it it's about twenty pounds of stainless steel and stuff. And it's a full sized. But he actually was able to figure out with his wife how to effectively use this prop from a TV show as an actual weapon. Wow. And he put together a book, and he had everything done with it, self-published it, and right when, as soon as they printed out like a thousand copies of this thing, Paramount sent him a cease and desist letter. You know, oh, you're infringing in our copyright. And And he was so careful about not using the word Klingon. Mm-hmm. Because you know that's a copyrighted name, you know. So it was it was an alien warrior, 
And and the, the thing that got them was both him and his wife, as they were using this and demonstrating the different poses, you know, and, and slashes and everything, they were dressed as Klingons. Oh, no. In the pictures. So they sent him a cease and desist letter. They said, if you want to publish this, hey, we're good with it, but, you know, you got to give us 10 grand or something like that. And, and Chet mm -hmm. said, you know, no way. So they, they told him that he had to destroy the book. But a few advanced, let's just say a few advanced copies happened to get out before Paramount got them. Mm. and stuff and you know like i say i could get in trouble for this but i really don't care you know hey you know paramount you want to come after me you know i'm in the middle of idaho <laughs> try to find me <laughs> sort of thing. hey come on <laughs> no. yeah but uh, you know we we still every once in a while we'll, you know so one of us that that had advanced copies you know we'll post one on like ebay and stuff. Mm. And that, that book that Chet was originally going to sell for, I think the, the cover price was like 12 bucks on it. You know, they go for hundreds of dollars now. Wow. On no. there. I've seen, I've seen them as high as $400 on eBay. And it's because wow. and as, whenever we post one on there, we, we always call it the book that never was. And which is so true. Yeah, because of, because of Paramount, you know, and, and Star Wars would love it if somebody did that. I mean, can yeah. you imagine if if somebody really came up with a with a lightsaber, in, a, a training course in, on how to use and fight with the lightsaber? Yeah, yeah. I've in fact I've seen it, some YouTube videos where these guys have gotten together with the, you know, they've made up some that you can actually fight with i mean it's not you know a real laser but yeah. it, it looks like it and they choreograph it and it it looks absolutely awesome and you know, george lucas is like hey more more bring us more but it's great about, advertisement they are so paranoid about it you know what amazes me too though i mean talking about props and things like that from television series and star trek star trek in, in particular is the Klingon language, and you had mentioned to me, and I, I took a look too. It is now a real language. Yeah, in fact, I got a copy of that right here. Is the uh, oh, of course, it's mirrored on my end. Oh yeah, what I'm looking at. Yes, but it's uh, it's the Klingon dictionary. It was a language that was originally written by a gentleman named Mark Mark Orkland. And it, and it was just a couple of phrases for a couple of the TV shows. And I think it was like, I think it actually first started coming out with the, with the Star Trek, the motion picture mm. is when, yeah. when he first really started getting into it. And now it's, it's an accredited language. Yeah. When you look under like the IMDb, IMDb, and you look at some of the shows, and in Deep Space Nine in particular, it says English, Klingon. So those are the two languages that's listed in there. Right. Um, and I, I did look it up, and it says that there, there's not a whole lot, but there are like 30 people in the world who speak fluent Klingon. Oh, yeah. That movie that had come out a few years back with 
Eddie Murphy Daddy Daycare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was the one kid that I can't think of the the actor's name right now. Oh, what is his name? He was on, he was on a lot of stuff. Yeah, Owen. Owen is either his first name or his last name. He's on the bridge of his nose. He sort of has a flat spot on his nose. Let's see. I'm 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 of course using my oh. internet here to take a quick oh, there you go. quick peek. Let's see here. Uh oh. One of the main characters. Yeah, one of the main characters. And he was a younger, a younger kid, younger right? Guy. Like I said, his uh, last name, I think his last name's Owen. Darn. You know, on these internet movie database thing, there just sure is a whole lot of actors and everything else in a lot of these movies. Right. Uh, well, anyway, the, the thing was is that there was, there was one of the kids from the movie, nobody could understand what he was speaking. And then when he, when he shows up, in, in you know starts in the movie he's like oh the kid's speaking Klingonese oh, Gary Owen understand him what was that Gary Owen Gary Owen there you go okay yeah yeah and and he could understand what the, the kid was saying but <sighs> Ma, but Mark you know he he took something that was just a couple of couple of words and just it, it's morphed into this thing now where it's accredited. I believe is a language by and it's taught by like twenty five or thirty major universities across the country. That is just so amazing. And wow. stuff and, and the language has just grown and grown and grown. You know that's something to well that's something else where a, a, a television series, especially going all the way back to the original Star Trek and you know, they didn't think much of it that it wasn't going to do well. It's probably one of the longest running shows in syndication and everything. Oh, so, right. Um, for it to spawn more than just television shows, but uh, movies and lang- a language, that, that to me just blows me away. Well, just, it's, just it's, the, the early technology. I mean, when you look at the original yes. Star Trek and it's like, you know, the communicators and then, you know, what, they're... What would that be? Forty years? Thirty, forty Even years more, after? Way it, back. You know, we can't. We can't. Oh. They came out with the flip phone. Yes, and Motorola called it a Star Trek. One of the early flip phones. It was all black. Right. So. Yeah. In fact, now you can you can actually there's there's a company that actually makes a flip phone. You know that looks exactly like a communicator. Wow. A lot of those things, like you said, what they had for props, kind of like a real thing now. They're tricorders, they're communicators, they're, you know, I, I, I bet you there's anything that Dr. McCoy had that we have now, you know, an, an iPad. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, an iPad that, that was just, you know, it's just amazing the, the stuff that has come out of it. Mm-hmm. Stuff, which, I, yeah. That's a big part of it that I love, too, about it. Yeah, I had an opportunity to have a conversation with Tim Russ from Star Trek Voyager, and he was Tuvok, of course. That's the one thing I asked him. I said, so what makes Star Trek, what makes these movies and TV shows almost timeless? He says, well, when you're talking about the future, 
the future isn't now. So it's going to always, you know, remain relevant. So I found that very interesting that he said that, but it's so true at the same time, because here we are talking about the communicators, the tricorder, uh, and all, all that stuff. And here it is. We, we kind of have it, but then we don't have all of it. So it still remains relevant. You know, that technology that they made up back then. Right. And, and a lot of it, you'd love, he'd really love to be able to see even, you know, nowadays. Yeah. It's like, yep. you know, some of the, of course, you know, I, I collect a lot of, a lot of props and stuff. My, my prize, I sent you a, I sent you a picture of it. It looks like a Thompson submachine gun. Yeah. Let me make sure. Let me see if that came through. Cause I want to be able to share that with people. I'll make sure that I put that in during our podcast here. Okay. Cause uh, otherwise I could, you know, I can, I can send you a picture of it afterwards too, but it's probably okay. my prize star trek collectible and it it was actually used in the original series a piece of the action it was a prop 45 caliber thompson submachine gun and i remember that episode yeah Uh, do you have yeah yeah it was it's actually too real on the wall in my other my other room no, it's in the other room. I was going to say, with that one, it was, that episode was too real. When we're talking about, you know, the future and its relevance, it's right. too real. And, you, <laughs> so. you know, when you go back and you think about it, you can actually see, or at least I can, I can see something like that actually happening. Mm-hmm. You know, where a, a ship out of the future, you know, it, it lands on a, on a on a more primitive world. And the only thing that survives out of this out of the spaceship crash is a book of the mobs of the 20th century, and they they base their entire you know technological society you know on the on Al Capone and Bugsy Siegel and stuff. And that's, yeah, that's I, really one of my favorite episodes too. I love that episode. And I was, I, I do too. I was at I was at an auction and one of these had come up for for sale and it was one of the original prop forty fives. Wow! And it was like I gotta have that, you know. And it's like you know I I wouldn't get get rid of that for anything. Yeah, and speaking of your memorabilia and and props things like that it, behind you, I mean you've already shown or pointed out a couple of your props, but. You have a lot more back there. Oh yeah. And, well, I've got there's three different. I've got three different uniforms hanging up mm-hmm. that I've used. There's well, I showed you that one bat lift. There's that this one right here. That's called the Sword of Kalish, and that that was supposed to have been carried by Kalish the Unforgettable. And so that's a mock-up of that, but that's also stainless steel, you know, about 30 pounds of stainless steel. Oh, my gosh. And stuff. And then, of course, you know, you got to have your Klingon knife. You know, <laughs> yes. Tog. That, that, that's called a dock tog, you know, with the, with the fold-out blades. And then I've also got back here, you know, you know, what what would a what would a Klingon be without his 
disruptor pistol. Oh, yes. You got to have the disruptor pistol. And, you know, of course, you know, what's a disruptor pistol without a disruptor rifle? <laughs> wow. you know, so these are a lot of fun to, to you know, to, to carry around and stuff. And then, oh, in here is... This is this is one of the headpieces that I I actually wore. Um, A lot of stuff, and since then too. So, yeah. But, and you you notice I have my Klingon hair, my real one down yeah. and pulled back. <laughs> yeah, see that that's the fortunate part about you. My hair is really short. <laughs> Normally, if if I'm going out someplace and I'm going to wear this, you know, I'll actually I'll actually shave my head because it, it's a lot cooler. Mm-hmm. And then it's a, the funny part is that um, normally guys that wear stuff like this, you know, one of the things that they use is on the inside to soak up the sweat, use a woman's feminine napkin. Uh, oh, you, yeah, you stick yeah. It in there, and then then you don't sweat. But there, now now I feel a little more not human. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's kind of just you know. But you, you know, once you get all the makeup on and stuff, and you blend everything in, you know. But yeah, that is cool. great. That is great. Yeah, but I, I've been on I've been on one magazine cover, which is. This here is a magazine called Warp Trails. Okay. And that's, you can see me in the middle there. Oh, there it is. Yeah. With All right. Two, two of my friends. One, one of them, you really, it, it's tough to tell in the, in the, in the picture on there. His, his, his name is Mitchell and he's from San Francisco area. One of the nicest guys you'd ever want to meet, and he gets mistaken for Michael Dorn all the time when he's in Klingon garb. Oh, wow! Just all the time, and now he, he just—he—he's like me. He loves doing it, and we've done a lot of a lot of things, a lot of promotional stuff. And one of the funniest things we ever had was. Uh, there was three of us, and we were working for Kodak at the Cybol Convention in San Francisco, which is a big computer show. Mm. I don't even know if they still if they still do it anymore, but it was called Cybol. And we were supposed to we were basically we were eye candy outside, and we're handing out flyers, you know, to people that are going in into the show and stuff. And and one of my friends, Mike, he's on the corner of Van Ness and I can't think of which one it is now, Foot Street. But he's just standing there and he said that some guy, all once he comes running over and he's like, hey, we got to go inside. He comes running over and this guy was driving down the street and he looks over at Mike and then he looks again and he runs into the car in front of him. Oh, he just no. slams into him. And stuff. We've, uh, we've had stuff like that. Did, did some work for Alaska Airlines 
where we were, there was some of us that they, they were doing a, there was a group that would do a management seminar. And it was a space-based game where they were selling, their salespeople were supposed to sell water. And it was selling water to different different societies around the galaxy. Oh, and okay. we as the Klingons, we were the keepers of the prison. And if the salesman did something wrong, they would get thrown into prison. And if they got caught doing something wrong, basically when we would grab them out of their out of the, the game, whatever they held, whatever they were holding in their hand had to go with them. And one of the big parts of the game was there was a little piece of paper that was a communicator and a transport key. So they couldn't transport back up to their ship. And it was it, it was just a hilarious game when it got going. And wow. um, and we were actually up in up in Seattle doing this with with Alaska Airlines, and it was myself and and Mike and Mitch, and we were staying at I can't think of the name of the hotel, but it's downtown. It, it was across from FAO Schwartz. Okay. There, you know, a big tall hotel, and we get in the elevator, and we're starting down. And of course, you know, because we got dressed in our rooms, so we're in full makeup, full battle armor, and stuff. And going downstairs, they they catch they catch a ride, you know, over to the it was the Superdome that they just a king down. kingdom back then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah is where this thing was going to be. And it was the funniest thing in the world. I mean, the doors opened up on the 15th floor and this little Asian lady, I mean, couldn't have been four foot five, you know, and she steps, goes to step into the elevator, looks up, sees us, and just kind of backs away and then the doors closed. <laughs> and we were laughing so hard when we got down, you know, to the to the bottom of the, the to the lobby, you know, with that one. I mean, it was. So oh, gosh. Hey, Daryl, do you try to get out? I know, like you're saying, the past couple of years with the pandemic, there really wasn't much of anything happening live and in person. But do you do you still try to or do you think you're going to try to get out to any one of these conventions that are you know coming up? Oh, yeah. Yeah, in fact, I'm hoping to do the Star Trek convention this year in Vegas. Mm-hmm. In August, there's a bunch of us that are planning on going to that. Gosh, and of course, no, I should try to be there in, uh, in in you know, in full costume and stuff. And oh wow, okay. You know, I've always had a lot, had a lot of fun with that. You know, going to the different different conventions because a lot of times we'll taken and creation will actually you know get a hold of us and we'll do stuff on stage with the with the old main actors mm-hmm. and stuff we we've done a lot of stuff with you know th- with them doing that you know hung out in what what we like to refer to the has-been room not that there has-beens but you know it's what, what was it now? like herb jefferson who used to play boomer um, and not Babylon 5. Um, Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica, yeah. Yes. And he 
used to go to every convention oh. that he could possibly go to. And, and they go and they sign autographs, you know, for, for people. And, you know, they make, they, they make, you know, five bucks an autograph. But we, co- we, we affectionately call that room the has-been room. <laughs> it's not that they're has-beens, but, you know, it, but you actually have more, I think you have more fun in, sitting in those rooms signing autographs for people than anything. Yeah, it seems like it'd be more casual, more fun, and you're not so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you get you get to interact with the people, and then it'd be like I'm sitting there signing autographs and, and pictures and stuff, and it's and it's like, well, what did you do? Well, you know, I'm uncredited. Oh, well, I want your autograph anyway. You know, sort yeah. of thing. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just like that magazine cover that I that I showed you. There was a a lady from here who just went through chemotherapy for breast cancer and you mm-hmm. know, survives today. And she's a huge Star Trek fan. And, you know, she came over to the house one day and showed her all my collection of stuff. And, and then I showed her a copy of that magazine and it was like, she had to have it. And then she had to have my autograph on it. And it's like, why? <laughs> you know, nobody's going to know who I am. But it, but it was like, you know, she had it. Michelle had to have it. So it's like, you know, I feel really good about that. Well, with that being said, I want to ask you, and I don't know if, if you'll remember, do you recall which which episodes possibly that you were in? I, I'd have to, I'd have to look back at them. Yeah, because you know, so I... There, there was, I, I think, like with Deep Space Nine, there was 250 episodes in the whole series. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. I mean, a whole lot. And yeah, like we were saying earlier, I mean, all these different series that spawned off of the original one. I think I read someplace that there's like over 840 episodes altogether. I mean, that's a lot of Star oh, and Trek. It, and it's just growing now again. You know, with yeah. Star Trek Discovery and then, you know, Strange New Worlds. Mm-hmm. I mean, Discovery, I think, is what, in their fourth season now? Yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right, yes. A lot of people that I know, they they didn't like it, you know, because it it just didn't seem real enough. But then other other people, you know, I didn't really think that I would, you know, that I would like Strange New Worlds, but I love it. I'm kind of like the people that you're saying that, didn't really care that much for Discovery, but second season after that, I I really liked it. Well, like behind me, you really can't see them, but my wife and I have a collection of all the all the sh- the different ships that the that were in the, oh. in the new Discovery. Oh my gosh, that that would be really cool to have. Yeah, I think really uh, cool. What we, like, I don't know, it was like 35 different models. Wow. Wow. I mean, when I'm there next time, you got to have me over at your place. You I would love to see what you have there. Yeah. I would love that. Daryl, I I thank you very much for for doing this and being on the show. And I I think people who are going to watch it and who listen to it, I think you've put this new... Well, we've all been fans of the Star Trek. But yeah. for me, personally, 
you make me want to go watch it even more. So I know as soon as we're done here, I'm going to go and I'm going to find it and I'm going to watch Star Trek. In fact, I'm going to watch Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Okay. And and I'm probably going to watch Voyager as well. Voyager. So Voyager, one episode of each. I, I enjoyed Voyager a lot. Well, part of the thing with Voyager is I actually went to school with Kate Mulgrew. Oh, wow. Yeah, she, oh. she was two years ahead of me in high school. Mm-hmm. So I, oh. you know, I know, I know Kate, you know, it, it's not like I know her, but I know her, you know, from school, seeing her around mm-hmm. school and stuff. And she's always been uh, a nice person. And, you know, a, a lot of the actors were really cool. I mean, probably that's one of my favorite one. I got to really say one of, one of my favorite actors actresses from the show and she was on Deep Space Nine was Nicole DeBoer and she's she's the one that took over for Terry Farrell mm, mm, when, they, okay. when they eliminated Terry's character you know Jadzia Dax and she was Ezra Dax and I was at a, I was at a convention in Fairfield California of all places, and she she was supposed to be there as the guest star, and we were all in co- you know a bunch of us in costume, and you know when and all at once this little tiny girl comes running up, and I mean Nicole is the size of a gymnast, you know, and and she just like leaps up into my arms, and she's like, oh my Klingons are here, and it was like <laughs> I was her escort for the entire con after that. All right, I'm going to make sure that when I go and watch Deep Space Nine tonight, I'm going to watch it after Jitsia. So Yeah, you got to look look for one with, with Ezra. I will. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely will. But yeah, I've, yeah I've like I said. It, Chuck, I, you know. You know but yeah, it's I, been fantastic. I wouldn't mind doing it again, you know, because I, I do a lot of Star Trek stuff, or Star Wars stuff, too. <laughs> Yeah, let's 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 plan to do that. I know I said I'm more of a Star Trek fan, but Star Wars, there's so many people out there. My my nephew included is a Star Wars fan, and one of my good friends, Dave, is an absolute Star Wars fanatic. So well, my, let's plan that. What, my fondest memory of that is I was working for an overnight courier service in Northern California, and I had a delivery one day out to Lucas Ranch. Oh. And I show up and go to, you know, go through the gate and they, they said, yeah, go over to this building over here and somebody will get the package. And it was a package with a bunch of film in it. So I go and it's like a cafeteria actually where I walked into and there's nobody in there. And I rang the bell, walked in and this guy shows up and he was wearing a bathrobe and it was like, <laughs> It was George Lucas. Oh, gee. And I didn't recognize him. And I was like, well, you, you know, I, you know, I got to deliver this. You think you can sign for it? And he says, well, I suppose I can. My name's on the, on the, on the gate. I was <laughs> like, you know, that was, that was really cool meeting George Lucas that way. Wow. Yeah. Let, let's, let's plan to do this and get together and talk about Star Wars and some of your knowledge and adventures with, with Star Wars. All right. Sounds like a plan. Cool. Well, again, Daryl, thank you. I know it's a little bit later for you where you're at as opposed to where I'm at, but I'm still going to stay up for a few hours to 
to watch a couple of episodes. I may have to do that myself now. Yep, yep. Anyway, uh, you take care. All right. I appreciate it, and, you know, we'll talk to you again. All right, Daryl, thank you. All right. Don't hang up. Yeah. <laughs>